The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! Hi, how you guys doing? My name is Tom Duggan here at the Paying Attention Podcast. Hi, it's up. Two Guys Smoke Shop at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. We've got a great show for you today. I know last week I said we were going to have the three police chiefs in to talk about Black Lives Matter, and I screwed up. That was my mistake. And I'm glad that I was talking to one of the chiefs last night on the phone and said uh, at the end of the conversation, hey, I'll see you tomorrow. And he said, why? What's tomorrow? And we didn't forget already, did you? He said, no, we don't have anything tomorrow. It's next week. And I pull up my calendar and went, oh, geez, I can't believe I screwed that up. Um, so we are going to have, next week, we're going to have Thorne Police Chief Joe Solomon, North Andover Police Chief Chuck Gray, and Lawrence Police Chief Roy Vask for our Cops Lives Matter show. And we are going to talk mostly exclusively about Black Lives Matter as a movement, Black Lives Matter as a slogan, uh, what it is doing to the American police officer across the country, and especially here locally, um, what the different police chiefs think. Now, um, we're going to have, uh, I'm, I'm going to do some news, and then we're going to, we have uh, Methuen Police Chief Joe Solomon is going to Skype in. Um, I'm using Skype as a verb, not as a, not as a brand. Uh, he's Zooming in, whatever the new, whatever the new technology is, <clears throat> uh, to talk about the layoffs in Methuen. But I wanted to talk about a couple things first. <clears throat> well, it'd be great if I had a voice today, huh? This is what happens when uh, the paper, the Valley Patriot is out on the streets, by the way. Um, it's being delivered as we speak. And uh, we, we put it to the printer at 5 a.m. Tuesday morning. So that's why I'm kind of like, I'm a little off my game today. But um, we have a great show for you. I want to talk a little bit about some local stuff. Then we're going to bring in Joe Solomon. And then we'll, you know, we'll see what happens after that. Who knows? I was trying to get John McDonald on. First topic I want to talk about, and I wanted to get John McDonald on for today, but I just couldn't reach him um, unless he did call and I had it on Do Not Disturb, of course, right? Let's just take a quick look. Yeah, of course he did. He called me back while I had it on Do Not Disturb. Um, Francisco Urena resigned last week as the Veterans Services Secretary for Charlie Baker. At issue is 100-plus veterans who died at the Old Soldiers Home in Holyoke. Francisco Urena was not in charge of the nursing home. Francisco Urena was not in charge of the people running the nursing home. Francisco Urena had no say as to what was going on at that nursing home. The guy who ran it answered to a board. He was appointed by the governor and he answered to a board. He was a political hack who didn't know anything about nursing homes. And 
for some reason, and we all know it's cover your ass, right? It's CYA. For some reason, uh, Francisco Urena was called into the governor's office last week for what he thought was going to be a meeting with the governor. Instead, was met with a couple of the governor's flunkies who handed him a uh, resignation letter and, and said, you have to sign this. This is it. You're done. Now, listen, Francisco Urena, for those who have been following, if you've been following us, the Valley Patriots, from the very beginning, you're very familiar with Francisco Urena. He comes to our bash every year and helps us award hero veterans with awards. He helps us with our scholarships. We first, I first met Francisco Urena in April of 2004. There was a big flood in the city of Lawrence. It was like the end of March, beginning of April 2004. We had just started the Valley Patriots. It was like our first or second edition. There was a big flood in the city of Lawrence, and he arrived at Logan Airport from Iraq. He's an Iraq, a Purple Heart winner, an Iraqi war veteran, a hero Marine, decorated like you wouldn't believe. He heard the news report on his way home from Logan Airport that there was a big flood in Lawrence and that dozens of families were displaced and that there was a tent set up for the victims to get food and clothing and find a way to get shelter. Francisco uh, arrived in Lawrence from Logan, dropped off his luggage, didn't bother to unpack, and went right down to the tents. And I know because I was there. I was there. My girlfriend Paula was there. She and I started the paper together back in 2004. And we were working the tents and taking pictures and trying to get stuff for the paper. And we ran into Francisco and he told us the story about how he just got back from Iraq that day and had to come down to try to help. He worked those tents for three straight days. He was there at six o'clock in the morning. And I think the tents closed up around three or four in the afternoon. And Francisco was there every day to try and help people, not just veterans, but anybody that needed the help. From that, Lawrence Mayor Mike Sullivan elevated, uh, tapped Francisco Urena to be the veteran services officer for the city of Lawrence. And he did that job for, I'm guessing, about five or six years and did a fantastic job. I get complaints about veteran services officers all the time because we write a lot about veterans. We have a lot of people who care about veterans calling us to let us know when they're not being treated properly. I get complaints when, uh, when um, the guy who's now running VNOC, uh, when Ed Mitchell was running the VSO office in North Andover, we got complaints on a weekly basis that the guy was never in his office, didn't return phone calls, wasn't helpful to the veterans. When that happened, I would call Randy Carter at Veterans Northeast Outreach, who was my first call, and my second call was to Francisco Urani, even though he was the Lawrence Veterans Services Officer. To try to find a way to help them. I'm not looking, I'm not, I wasn't interested in hurting Ed Mitchell for not doing his job. I was more interested in just finding out who these veterans are that needed help that weren't getting it. And let's go around Ed Mitchell. If he's not doing his job, we don't want him to get fired. We're not, he's a veteran. And even though he's not doing the right thing, we're just going to go around him and we'll find a way to get these veterans their benefits. And Francisco worked with Randy for years and others in the community to try and help veterans, even if they weren't from Lawrence. From there, he was tapped by Boston Mayor Menino to be the Veteran Services Officer for Boston. And then eventually, after serving there for at least five years or more, he was tapped by Charlie Baker to be the Veteran Services Cabinet Secretary for the Governor. In that time, all of his time as a Marine, all of his time as the VSO in Lawrence, all of the time as VSO in Boston, and all of his time as the Veteran Services Secretary, which he's been for at least now five years for the state, there's never been one complaint that Francisco Urena had neglected anybody. 
The Francisco Urena wasn't doing his job. The Francisco Urena neglected veterans. Francisco Urena would rather, and I know this gentleman, I've known him for a long time. Francisco Urena is a hero who would rather throw himself off a bridge than turn his back on a veteran. Now, I have defended Charlie Baker on this show ad nauseum. My friends in the Tea Party are mad at me because I defend Charlie Baker. He's not conservative enough. My liberal friends are mad at me because he's a Republican and he's not liberal enough. And yet I've always defended Charlie Baker, whether it was the RMV scandal, whether it's the, dis- the, the disgraceful mismanagement of, of uh, Department of Children and Families, which is still just so horrible. We've def- I've defended and we have defended Charlie Baker right down the line. This is not something we can defend. Because we know Francisco. My readers know Francisco. My podcast listeners and viewers and my former radio listeners know Francisco. And there was no way Francisco Urena was responsible for this. And even worse, to take a hero veteran and blame him for the hackery and the neglect of American service members, retired American veterans in a nursing home, the old soldiers home in Holyoke. I guess there's another one in Chelsea too, where a number of people, a number of veterans died because of COVID-19. To blame Francisco is a disgraceful miscarriage of justice. And at some point, I'm going to try to get him on the show. I've been asking him since before he resigned. He was forced to resign. And I've been asking him since he resigned. And he just doesn't want the publicity. He, he, I get it because I've been involved in scandals. When I was on the Law and School Committee, I had 13 different scandals. When, they, when, when a scandal starts and people are piling on and people are bad-mouthing you and slandering you in the press, the one thing you just want is for it to go away. You just want to like find something else to do with your life and just make it go away because it's very stressful. Eventually, I think we are going to get him on the show, though, because he's a friend. And we want him to tell his story. And I tried in this month's editorial to at least give you a snapshot of what happened. But there's an awful lot more there. You had a guy that ran a nursing home for veterans. And they continued putting people with COVID-19 into that hospital, into that nursing home, just like in New York. And they weren't segregated. And they didn't have enough PPE, the personal protection stuff. They didn't have any regulations. And by the way, Charlie Baker, and I love Charlie Baker. I do. He's just wrong about this. What he did was disgraceful. I'm not attacking him. I'm attacking his actions. This is what most people don't get today. You can criticize someone's actions. You're not criticizing them. You're not saying they're a bad person. I'm not saying Charlie Baker is a bad person, although this action certainly calls that into question. Because you don't throw a hero Marine under the bus for something somebody else did to protect your own ass. None of us are perfect. Certainly Charlie Baker is not perfect. He made a bad decision. He needs to fix it. He needs to fix it. So I'm not John McDonald, my good friend John McDonald that used to have a radio show after mine on WCAP, used to be a, uh, a guest on my show all the time, came to all our pro-police rallies. He wrote, a, um, he wrote an op-ed in the Lowell Sun this, summer, this Sunday calling for Charlie Baker's resignation. I'm not going to go that far because quite frankly, without Charlie Baker, you've got left-wing lunatic Democrats running the state. And Charlie Baker, on his worst day, on his very worst day, and I would say maybe that worst day might have been the day they forced Francisco to resign, but on his worst day, he's still better than any of those Democrats on their best day. Our gas tax would be $3 more a gallon. Our personal taxes would be 15% higher. 
We know what Martha Coakley wanted to do when she ran for governor. She said it. We didn't have to guess. She wanted to raise taxes on everything. She wanted to use the governor's office for social justice. And Charlie, for the most part, doesn't do that. Now, I don't agree with 50% of what Charlie does, but at the end of the day, he's the speed bump in the road that's stopping the Democrats from getting 100% of everything they want. So I fight with my Tea Party friends all the time because they hate Charlie Baker. He's not conservative enough. And look at what he did to the the state GOP. And look at what he did on the abortion issue. And look at what he did on the gay marriage issue. And look at what he's doing on this issue and that issue. They're not wrong about that. But you still have to vote for Charlie Baker. Because the alternative is Marty Walsh. The alternative is Robert DeLeo. The alternative is any of the Democrats that they've run. Oh, who's that crazy... Who's the crazy, crazy lady that beat Mike Capuano in the last, uh, in the last election for Congress? Uh, I can't remember her name. But she's nuts. You've got Charlie Baker, and then you've got the insane, insane asylum. And he's the only thing holding the insane asylum from running the asylum, the, 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 the inmates from running the asylum. So on the one hand, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ripping Charlie Baker because he did the wrong thing. Charlie, you did the wrong thing, my friend. I read the report. Here's how this works in politics. Somebody does something wrong, nobody cares, right? Oh, it's Ayanna Presley, thank you. Somebody does something wrong in government, nobody cares. Everybody covers it up, they pretend it didn't happen, unless it hits the newspaper, unless it hits Channel 7. And then they need a scapegoat, because here's how it works in politics. They find one guy, they scapegoat him, they fire him or they make him resign, then they tell everybody, oh look, the problem is over, The problem was that guy. And now that that guy's gone, you don't have to pay attention to any of this anymore. And how they get rid of that guy is they commission a report. They they appoint some supposedly non-biased third party to write a report, to do an investigation. And I read the investigation report of what happened at the Holyoke Gold Soldiers home. It was riddled with inaccuracies. It was riddled with lies. And I'm even going to go so far to say that they were lies, that they were intentionally put into that report to make And I read it. It made it look like Francisco Urena was in charge of that nursing home and that Francisco Urena didn't do his job. And he did. He had no say. He couldn't have fired the guy that ran that nursing home if he wanted to. He answers to a board. The board did nothing. The board appointed by Charlie Baker. The board did nothing. The guy that ran the nursing home did nothing. I'm not even going to mention his name because I'm not interested in slandering people. I'm just interested in correcting the record. So we have called in this month's Valley Patriot for Donald Trump and the head of veteran services for the country, for the federal government, uh, Robert Wilkie, to do a real investigation into what happened at the soldier's home in Holyoke and issue a real report as to who's really responsible. Because by scapegoating Francisco Urena, we have now allowed the people who let these veterans die off the hook. They have not paid a price. Sure, the guy that was running the nursing home got fired. That's not holding anybody accountable. Firing someone isn't holding them accountable because quietly they're going to, you know, Charlie Baker's going to find another job for him. This guy was fired, and, and in three months, he's going to get stuck somewhere at the MBTA or somewhere else in a low profile job, and he's going to be making 150000 a year, and nobody's even going to know he's there. That's not paying a price for what you did. That's not holding the board responsible. The entire board that runs that nursing home, that, that oversees that nursing home, needs to be fired. 
every single one of them. They need to go. And a full investigation needs to take place. Uh, what else do we have? I, I, my heart breaks for Francisco. I hope he will come on the show and tell the real story of what happened. I suspect because he's much more classy than I am that he probably won't do that. Which breaks my heart because I know a lot more about this that I can't talk about because I was told off the record and not by Francisco. And what I was told, I looked into and found was true, and I would just love to have him here saying it. If I say it, it doesn't mean as much as if he says it. Much better if he says it. Uh, what else do we have? So we're, um, we're in phase three, Ben, in Massachusetts anyway. Uh, phase three of a 37 phase. I think it's a, the 38 phases. Uh, we went to Salvatore's yesterday, uh, ate on the deck, but they also had in, inside dining, and you could actually have functions at 50% capacity. So if you've got a room that holds 500 people, you can pack in 250, and that's okay. So we're in a quandary now, Ben, because we still have not had a bash. We still haven't had our 16th anniversary bash. And if things keep going the way they're going, we might be able to do it in August. However... I don't want to hold out till August and then have a second wave hit and have us go back to phase two. And now we're looking at three more months. And look, March, March 2021 is right around the corner, right? And we, we start going into September is when we have our first bash meeting for the following year's March bash. So we usually start in August or September. And now we're approaching August and September and we're still not sure what to do. So we came up with two ideas. One was wait. Schedule it in August. By then, hopefully, we can have a full room of 500 people or more. If not, we can at least have 250 because it's 50% of the, and that's still, not, that's still not bad, right? And give scholarships to these kids and give out the awards to the veterans and the police officers and the firefighters that we have awards for. Or the other idea was don't take the chance and do a caravan to each of the students' homes and have the people that donated the money bring their check. Like people that gave me money already, I would just write them back a check so they can write a check to the kid. And as the caravan goes by, each person can reach out the window and hand the kid an envelope with a check in it. And that way we're tying the people who are giving the money directly to the kid. Normally at the bash, what we'll do is we'll call the person who gave the money up and we'll have him present our check because most people give me the money for the scholarships and then I give it to the kids. So we'll give them the check and then we'll, we'll have the donors present it because I, I, none of this money comes out of my pocket. I'm poor. I have no money. But I have lots, I have lots of friends that have money or that are willing to donate. So that's, that's the quandary that we're in. I'd be interested if you want to instant message me or, or email me as to what your preference would be, especially if you've attended any of our bashes or if you've donated money. Um, to anybody that gave us money for the bash this year for veteran tables or uh, for... Um, uh, the raffles, or anything else that people have given us already. We have a segregated account. All of that money is still there. We can either give you a table, depending on what we do. If we don't have a bash, we can give you a table next year. Or if you want a refund, we can give a refund. We'd rather not do that. Uh, we'd rather have it for, for next year if we don't do an actual bash. But we'll, we're going we're to leave it up to the individual donors. It's going to be up to them what they want to do. We can still donate during this time, correct? Yeah, we can. And I've been trying to figure out a way. Like If, if we know we're getting close to like a real bash for August, I'll start posting online how people can donate again. I just don't want to start doing it, get a good groove going, and then step backwards, and then we're screwed. Like We, we start planning in September, and everything is timed so that by a week before the bash, we've had the maximum amount of publicity. It's been in the front page of the paper. It's been all over Facebook and Twitter, 
and we've gone to different businesses and had them donate stuff. And as most of our donations come in the last week and we got shut down literally one week before the bash. And had they just waited a week, everything would have been fine. But it just, it's, the, it's just the bad timing of the way that it happened. And then, you, if you remember, I came on this show and I said, you know what, I don't give a shit. I'm having a bash anyway. Well, I don't care what's closed down. And then, and I said it on the show and I got a phone call from the Firefighters Relief Inn after the show saying, uh, not so fast. Because um, we're not getting fined for the city by you breaking the law and having your event here. So when things go back to normal, if you want to have it here, that's fine. But until then, the venue's the one that's going to make the decision as to whether or not you're here. And, you know, I mean, good for them. They, they have to look out for themselves, too. I wasn't even thinking of them when I kept saying, I don't care, I'm having the bash anyway. Um, so we're hoping we'll have it at the Fireman's Relief Inn in August. I'm hoping that's the direction we're going in. I'm going to wait one more week before I make a decision. Um, Chris Eldridge and Maria Fiato who, and Brenda, who run my bash committee, all have very different ideas on what to do with this, and they're all very smart and very creative people. So I'm in listening mode. I'm just listening. Like, tell me what you think. How can we maybe even merge these two ideas? Maybe there's something else we can do. Maybe an outdoor cookout where we can have 500 people because we'll be outdoors. So we're kicking these ideas around, and I promise you by next week's show, I will have an answer for you on the bash. Um, I've got two more things, but I'm not going to get to them because on the line, we have uh, in the city of Methuen now, and I'm not sure why this is happening because I haven't been able to talk to Neil Perry. Uh, he has not been well. Please say a prayer for him. Um, at the last meeting, Ben, I'm watching, and he came out and said, I'm under a doctor's care. I'm not doing well. And then each of the city councilors took time before they spoke to say, I'm glad you're feeling better. And I kept scratching my head going, what the hell are they talking about? He just finished saying he's under a doctor's care. He's not doing well. And they're going, oh, well, glad you're on the mend, Mayor. And I'm like, these people don't even, don't, they don't listen. They just don't listen. They're so busy thinking of the next thing to say that they're just not listening. So I want to correct the record for anybody that was watching that. He, at least as of that meeting, he was not doing well. He's not on the mend. I'm hoping that he's doing better, but I haven't spoken to him in the last couple of days. Um, but he's still getting work done. He's in the hospital, but he's getting work done in the hospital. And I can only say he's in the hospital because I read it in today's Tribune. Like, I didn't say it last week, and I haven't said anything on Facebook about it because it's, it's personal stuff, and that's not what we do here. But it has been in the Tribune, so I might as well. Um, while he's dealing with all of this, while he's in the hospital, while he's dealing with his medical condition, there's an awful lot of money not coming into Methuen, at least projected to not come into Methuen, and he has slated a bunch of layoffs. And since the police department is going to be hard hit, I thought we'd have Methuen Police Chief Joe Solomon on, not to break his balls about black, his Black Lives Matter, his stupid, ridiculous press release that he put out last week. Um, I, maybe I'll ask him, or maybe I'll break his chops a little bit. But, um, but we wanted to talk about the layoffs and exactly how is this going to, because I read the Tribune and I know they get everything wrong. And then I go on Facebook and everybody's got it wrong. And then I talk to a city councilor and he's telling me it's 11 cops and three superiors. And I talk to a different city councilor and she's telling me, no, it's 13 cops and 15 superiors. I mean, I don't even think we have 15 superiors. So I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do what DJ Boragod won't do. I picked up the phone and I called Joe Solomon and said, hey, what's the real story? We're getting told all this other stuff from 15 different people, and I haven't gotten a press release from the mayor, obviously, because he's, he's, he's under the weather. So let's just get Joe Solomon on, and we'll ask him, so Chief, are you laying off 15 guys, 27 guys, 5 guys? What, what, is, what is the actual number of guys that you're looking to lay off right now as we speak? 
Am I on with you? You are. I still thought you were going to slap me around for a little. I'm, I'm going to. Just wait. So, Tom, again, it's, it's a number in flux. As we sit here right now, it's uh, 16. Uh, and as we were sitting here talking, I actually counted up the numbers again, and I actually think it's supposed to be 17. So, uh, But officially, it's 16 in total, which is um, the elimination of two captains' position. And again, this is as of now and everything's subject to change. Elimination of two captains' positions, one lieutenant's position, three sergeants' position, and that one which is in question because it was three, but as I'm looking at the new budget, it only says two. Um, Ten patrolmen and one dispatcher for a total of either 16 or 17, depending on um, what happens with the sergeants. And there was an additional three positions, but they're in a separate union uh, and those positions are not being cut at this time. So right now, as of notices uh, we gave out, it includes 16 positions, but that's possible. Possibly it could be one more. All right, so it's a total of 16 positions being laid off. Correct, but not 16 people. Eight people, eight physical patrolmen will not have a job. And the superiors will roll down to lower ranks. Are there any superiors who are, who are going to be laid off? No, because their seniority is enough that, but one of them does go from a lieutenant to a patrolman. Wow. Yeah, it's devastating to the families. Um, I know it's it was a tough day yesterday, but it has to be done in person. It's the only way to do it. You go to each house, you talk to them. You, um, you again, let everyone know this isn't done yet. There's still the budget to be processed. There's still a hearing date, which is tentatively scheduled by the city as July 15th, subject to change, you know, because of lawyers uh, availability, but tentatively it's July 15th. There's always the hope that tomorrow the feds pass that legislation. And we know that the revenue shortfalls will go away. There's also the CARES Act money that the city has some, and we're waiting. The mayor did not spend it all. Um, very intelligently, he held it in reserve so that if it's allowed to be used for revenue replacement, he can then punch that number in and that will further reduce, you know, equally across the board, the number of losses, because according to the Tribune story, if it's correct, it's 45 total city employees. They're never correct. I'm just letting you know, they're never correct. So that's what I saw as a 45 number. I just know I did 16 notices I think there's possibly going to be one more, uh, but again, uh, as of now, it's 16. All right, so here's what I want you to. Here's what I want. I want you to talk to the public about. I want you to reveal to the public, because we've heard now for the last year and a half from some city councilors who have a personal beef against you, who just want to micromanage your department. They call you corrupt and mismanagement. Every single meeting, they find a way. They could be talking about the color of the drapes at the White House, and they would find a way to work in that Joe Solomon and his department is corrupt. So what I want you to do is I want you to talk about what this means for the Methuen resident who's calling 911 next week or when these take effect, what it means for them, what it means if you need, a, if you have a SWAT situation, if you have a barricade situation, uh, if you have a, a murder that you need to investigate, what does this mean for the average person? So, uh, you know, a lot of people I've spoke to, Tom, are nervous, but uh, I had a very good conversation with the mayor and the CAFO the chief administration finance officer this morning. I'm working on a reallocation of manpower uh, inside the police department, and that isn't complete yet. I gave the mayor some preliminary info, but I I can't give that out. However, what I can say is 
we will backfill every single 911 officer's responding position. So we will actually going, we're actually going to put extra offices on the street uh, that are responsive in the patrol bureau for 911 because we know the calls are going to increase as everyone's coming out of the pandemic. We, we know that because of the situation of the city, officers haven't been able to take time off since March 15th, all their time carried over to the new year. So they're going to need to use that time. So there'll be less offices available to work. So we're backfilling extra offices on the street. So if you call 911, we'll be there. Okay. Um, barring some major draw on our service, which would have been any normal, we're coming. So we don't want anyone to think if you call 911, we're not going to be there. There might be a slight delay in the answering of the phone because we're, we have, um, again, two dispatch positions that will be going away, one through uh, retirement and one through uh, layoff. So we're still, we're, I've been on the phone twice now this week with the state 911 looking for a mini grant to backfill filling that position, either with a person with overtime money or pumping our calls to another 911 call center, which really delays response. So we're doing everything in preparation of this. Uh, what they will see is they'll see a reduction in the other specialty position. So there might not be a traffic study that can be conducted. There will be a lag in issuing permits, permits and licensing. There will be a significant reduction in traffic investigation and traffic enforcement and community outreach support services. Um, there will be a definitely a reduction in another section of the department, which will have an impact on the street, but I can't speak to that at this point until I do a final plan with the mayor. But they'll see, I want the public to know if you call 911, there's going to be cops on the street coming there. Um, there might be a little bit of a delay answering the phone. There might be a, a little bit of a delay getting them there, but they'll be there. So we are backfilling. In fact, we're putting extra people in patrol to make sure that we, with the call volume increase, that we do not have a reduction in emergency response because ultimately that's really our core mission. We do everything else here. You know that we do the uh, substance use disorder. We do community outreach. We, we do a multitude of neighborhood programs, uh, all kinds of um, technology and advancements, which I believe is the professionalism of policing going above and beyond. But ultimately, we get back to our core mission in the time. We get officers out to your calls and maybe your neighborhood call doesn't get a follow up by the burglary task force or by the community outreach. Your house was broken into or your business. Uh, instead of having that Right away, that might be a month before someone gets you. But when the call comes in that it's happening, we're going. Right. So the people just need to be patient. Uh, the other thing is we're working with the mayor through some some of the CARES funding to allow us to have online reporting. So if you call and your car was hit in a parking lot, you can get online and do a report. If your bicycle was stolen or there was damage to your property, you can do the report online. The officer contacts you, remotely speaks with you, and when he can fit it in his patrol sector, he'll swing by the house. So you're not waiting two hours for a cop to come. He'll get there when he gets there, but at least you got the service. So we're looking to use technology to reduce the, the burden of not having as many police. But obviously we'll feel it, but we're going to do the best we can to reduce the feeling for uh, the individual household member. All right, so I, I hate to sound like Steve Zabo. I really do. 
but I'm listening to what you're telling me, and it seems as though this is what Steve Saber and Jim McCarty have been asking all along. Get rid of the, the, the their view is that the department is top heavy. Get rid of a couple of captains, knock everybody down, put more patrolmen on the streets. That's what they've been looking for. That's what they've, they tried to force Jajuga to reorganize the department to do it that way. Now with the layoffs, you've got no choice to do it that way. I'm wondering if this is going to stem the constant criticism and barrage of insults and attacks that you get personally at every meeting. I doubt that that's going to happen. <laughs> they, they have what they want to occur and they know how to make it happen. They just don't want to make it happen. So I've had those conversations with them on the floor. But Tom, remember, eight individuals and eight families are losing their incomes, right. which I believe is not necessary. I believe there's other ways of doing this particularly looking to the federal money or redistributing some of the reserve money and the free cash. By the way, the, I know the police department finished significantly in the black this year because the mayor came to all department heads in February and said, okay, only necessary spending. So things we would normally have done that are services we cut back on. And that I know the police ended in the black. I know the fire ended. So what they need to do is take that money that's rolling back to the city budget FY21, a significant amount of money, I'm told, although the amount is elusive. I haven't been told what it is. That money should be re-put right back into filling these spots. And we should be using free cash and reserves. And let me tell you, oh, my God, the bond rating. I've heard it. I've been here 34 years. I've heard it as a leader in the police department since 1995. And I understand that. But the truth is the reserve fund and the free cash is meant for this specific reason. Now, this is supposedly not retribution. This is not punishment. This is not because of contracts. This is solely, this is not defund the police. This is solely COVID-19 related. If that's true, then there is no better time to dip into your reserves for police, fire, DPW, city hall. So the services to our citizens remain the same. Again, it, it requires actions of the council in order for this to be able to occur. Um, and it isn't exactly what, what they want because they just want to eliminate those captains, but we're not putting extra bodies on the street. If you said six more bodies went on the street, like patrolmen, we're not making more patrolmen. We're just going to do less services. And when it actually comes out with those services, are, when we're done the final plan and the mayor and me agree on how that's going to go because he is my boss, then people won't, won't be happy, I believe, with the ancillary services that won't be there. But ultimately, remember the core mission of police. Although in Methuen, I think since 2002, we've done our best to give you extra services and extra quality. And we go to your house when the neighbor's leaves blow over there. We go to their house when they say someone's car is parked in front of my house, although it's legal. We mediate. A lot of that stuff isn't going to be able to get done. But the emergency calls for service were. Um, it is a sad time that we're, we're in. I hope to God that um, the federal money, which I'm told is called the HEROES Act, will come to all communities everywhere in the United States. I'm concerned as to how they create all this money. I don't know if they're in a little room printing it or if they actually really have it. But um, we are going to continue to work together all. By the way, this ain't a police issue, police fire, DPW, city hall. But emergency management for the city is police fire DPW. And you could see how a, a, a thunderstorm could pop up like it did a few weeks ago and literally close multiple multitudes of streets, tax police fire and DPW beyond the limits. But we all work together as a team and myself and other department heads are committed to following the mission of the mayor and doing the job that needs to get done. Now you talked about the mission of the police department. I thought the mission of the police department was that all lives matter. Well, we're going to talk about that. 
next Thursday when you beat me up. <laughs> I was hoping to get a little bit in today, but that's okay. So we've got some questions from the audience. One, uh, one of our audience members wants to know why uh, why the unions have not taken a pay freeze. And I, I actually thought that the unions had taken a pay freeze. So I'm, I'm in the dock on this question. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, again, I think that the city was talking about furloughs. So did they take furlough days or not? The police superiors are being paid as their pay rate as of June 30th, 2017. So we're approaching three years and they're at the same pay rate. I know that's not what everyone tells you. There was a short time under Mayor Jujuga where they had the memorandum of agreement, but that went away. I think that was February of 2019. So um, since February 2019, they've been being paid the February, the June 30th, 2017 salaries that were frozen at that point. So uh, I think they're talking about furloughs. Some unions took them. Some unions haven't taken them. Um, that's between the city and the unions and not really my realm. But I wanted to give that explanation. So many people tell me about the captains making $432,000. They're not. They're at the same pay. Captains, lieutenants, and sergeants that they were as of June 30th, 2017. Well, how, what is that number? Because you know we're going to get pressed for that. Well, just uh, just actually, give, me know, average, give, me, give me an average captain. What are they making? I, well, I can tell you in the budget, it has three captains, and the pay is 323-813. This is the budget that's hot off the press. It actually is posted online, so no one can say I'm saying this is posted on the city's website. So 323-813 saying- divided by three. That gives them a base pay of one hundred seven nine thirty seven. Okay, so the so the captains are making about one hundred thousand dollars. That's that's actually pretty in line with most departments your size, right? Right, and again, these are base pay without any college incentives, longevity, holiday pay. All those numbers are broken out separately. Uh, but that's right off the budget that was provided to me this morning by the capital. So I was watching um, the city council meeting. Unfortunately, I have to watch it for my job, although it is entertaining at times. Uh, one of the counselors, I think it was, I'm not going to say a name because I might get it wrong. Uh, one of the counselors said, you know, uh, a lot of people are taking, uh, agreed to take a 10% cut because of the budget issues. Why isn't the chief taking a 10%? Why isn't he offering to take a 10% cut? And my answer, I'm not you, I'm going to let you answer it. But my answer was, he could give them 20% and they're not going to be happy. He could give them 50% and they're not going to be happy. Um, is that something that you, you would think about? Or is that something that you're going to do if for no other reason, just for good faith? So, Tom, um, I just did it while I was sitting here. The 10 furlough days comes out to 3.8% of someone's pay. So uh, it's not 10%. I know the 10% number is used out there repeatedly, and I, I myself used it initially because that's the number the mayor gave us. But if you take a furlough of 10 days divided by the 260 work days and a 52-week work week for a regular worker, comes out to 0.038, which is 3.8% of their pay. Uh, what I will say is that since two, Jim, I, I don't remember if it was 18. Let me think for a second. Major Juga got elected in 18, right? I believe so. 18, 19, so yeah. What the furlough days is supposed to be are your holiday pay, mm-hmm. the 10 holiday days. So I haven't received holiday pay or longevity since uh, 2000, July of 2018. Jim Juga, Major removed it, just <laughs> removed it from my pay. And um, uh, we have had multiple conversations. It's still not being paid in a new administration. So, um, the 10 holiday pay, actually mine is 13. So the 13 holiday pays and my longevity hasn't been paid in over two years. Um, so uh, I I have 
multiple issues in play, and I think you're aware of them. And quite frankly, uh, at this point, I think they've taken a significant amount of money out of my pay. And obviously, I like to lead by example, but this is a situation that is so individual and specific to me. Based upon the last two years, if we go back to 2006 and the upheaval that occurred to my family, um, I have some personal reasons for it, but uh, I'm all for doing what I can do to help the city. But that's a personal decision at this point until I resolve the outstanding contract issues with the city. I'm not in a position to uh, be able to either forego anything at this front. Uh, I did say did make a comment to the city uh, during a department head meeting on um, on how something could be accomplished. Uh, I don't think it went over well, but uh, I, I don't want to get into that specific. But other to say, it definitely isn't 10%. It's about 3.8% from the numbers I'm seeing here. Um, and some people may be more, some people may be less, but that's the average number that I see. Um, you, know what, you know what your detractors are going to say, right? They're going to say, look at all the money this guy's making. And he's complaining about 10%. Look at all, he's the highest paid that we hear it every day. He's the highest paid cop in the, uh, in the, on the planet. Like it's he, not true though. Right? Right. So that's actually not really true. And we know that's not true. Uh, all they have to do is um, do a survey in Massachusetts and check adjoining communities and other communities in Massachusetts. Um, also look at um, somebody who's been, when you compare people to them, so you have someone who's been doing a job for 18 years, they're at a certain pay level. When you compare someone who's been doing a job, say, for four, four or five years, you take their pay, and then you carry that out over the 18 years to see if it's compatible. You, you have to do those analyses to see, you know, how outrageous it is. And uh, for them to say that, that that number is the highest paid, it's definitely not. That, the number they're quoting, the 297, 271, which I'm reading off the budget right now, is not even the highest paid police chief in Massachusetts. Uh, all they have to do is make some simple calls. And interestingly, some of the press who I've spoken to said they don't want to go there. So they're not going to do comparisons to other department heads within the city. And they're not going to do comparisons to other chiefs. They're just going with the flow. So I, I'm like you. I like to tell the whole story. And I think people should actually do the comparisons. I, 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 you said two, two, 200 what? It says on the city's budget right now, and again, I, I'm reading the budget, 297, 271. Is that base? That's, it says includes all compensation. This is directly off the CAFO. Right. I haven't even had a chance to do that to see the math, but that's what my new pay is going to be. Uh, and actually, I think it is what my pay is currently today. Um, I don't have a paste up here, but it looks like it's about the same number. It actually looks like it's a little less than it was last year, like couple of grand less than it was last year. So um, Dave Beauregard posted on Methuen Family, Methuen, Methuen Sound Off, that your pay was somewhere over 300000 And when I ran the numbers, it, that, that looked correct. Is that correct? Well, uh, if, see, again, Tom, it's all a game. It's, it's that, you know who I'm talking about. It's all smoke and mirrors. And that's what's leading this, part of what's leading this. So, all I have to do is go to the city and ask the capital for my W-2 at the end of the year because, yes, I did make more than $300,000 last year, but it wasn't base pay. So there was something else included in there, and the city can answer to what else is included in that $335,000 number. Uh, the, the numbers are there for anyone who wants to see them go do it. In fact, all you got to do is go to the FOIA's website. So many people from 
political have requested it. It's probably up there six or seven times. Just go on the city's four-year site and pull it down. So why can't you just tell us then if it's already out there? Well, because it's my personal choice. Uh, all right. Fair. Let, them, let them do the research, though. Fair, fair enough. Um, you're getting killed here on the comments. People are saying you're, okay. you're getting you're, you're getting so much. Can you, is there something else I'd like you to address? Two things. One, um, do you hire and fire? Do you demote and promote? And do you have? Does your pay have anything to do with the superior officer's contract? Those two questions. Lots of questions. So no, I'm not the hiring authority, the firing authority, the the demoting authority, the promoting authority. That's all the mayor. I could discipline up to suspensions of five days. Anything more than five days has to be a mayoral level hearing. I don't have the authority to hire. That's a mayor's power. And if it's a promotion, it's it's the authority of the mayor. Again, I can make recommendations, but it's the authority of the mayor in that confirmation of the city council. I'm sorry, what was the last part? The second one was people are under the impression, even people who are watching right now making comments, um, and, they're, and I'm happy that they're doing that. It gives us a chance to clear some of this up, that your pay is tied to the superior officer's pay. A lot of people are mixing you and the superior officers with their lawsuit on their contract as if you're part of that. And we hear it at city council meetings, and we hear we see it on McDowell's sound off uh, online that your pay, that the reason you guys are fighting so hard um, is that your pay is tied to the superior officer's contract. Is that true? My pay is 2.6 times the highest paid patrolman. Now, I remember interviewing Steve Zani on his last day as mayor. Um, yes. And I, I dug out my notes before the show. Normally, I don't take notes, but with, with Steve, you had to. You had no choice because he talked so fast. Um, and one of my notes said that you went from 2.3 to 2.6 times the highest paid patrolman, not superior officers. Um, how did that happen? I'm only smiling because because we've had this conversation. So my pay went from 2.3 to 2.5, and then 2.5 to 2.6. And that's all. Uh, I let the numbers speak for themselves. I don't want to get into the background of it. That, that, that's fine. Um, I, I think one of the things that I want people to come away with is people, people are making comments that you and the superiors are taking the city to court, and you're not part of that, are you? Well, I think there, there are two different, uh, I think there's two different confusions there. So the court, there, in fact, no one's in court, but the superiors have an arbitration case against the city for this, for their contract, but so don't the patrolmen, which a lot of people don't even realize. Now, separate from the superiors, there's an association, which is Methuel Police Superior Office Association, which is not the patrolman, which is not the superior's contract. So myself and a couple of superiors did go seek a First Amendment rights attorney because of the significant violation of uh, of slander and libel, whichever one is written. I get those mixed up all the time. You're a news guy. You know. Which yeah, one slander is, is spoken and libel is written. So all the libelous statements written online on Facebook could us the slander spoken to the newspaper that's then written, which people actually know isn't false and are making those statements. So we went to see a First Amendment attorney. There has been no court action filed on our behalf. There is no lawsuit pending on our behalf. There is an arbitration for the contract of the superiors, an arbitration for the contract of the patrolman. Uh, you've contacted a First Amendment attorney and you say nothing's been filed. Do you mean nothing's been filed yet? Is there something coming? Oh, I didn't say that. I, I went to the First Amendment attorney 
with a couple other people because uh, we had hoped that when he would check what he saw and he if he felt it was a violation, he would notify the parties. And they would just stop. I mean, quite frankly, Tom, uh, it's all we talk about all the time. Let's stop this nonsense and get on with the city business. And, you know, I'm one of the people you either love me or you hate me. There seems to be no middle ground. Mm -hmm. You can't argue that we run a great police department here. So let's get on to the business of the community and stop with the false allegations. And what you hear, the rhetoric from the politicians. I have several instances where they've made statements that we know for fact they were notified in writing before then that that statement wasn't accurate. And yet they keep making them. So um, I would even say that they know for a fact that that salary comment is not salary. However, they continue to make those comments because it really it gets all your viewers and everyone else gives them something to talk about. Sure. Uh, we've gone through a lot in this country with covid. We've had all the protests. Um, we have a basically a war on our government and on our law enforcement, which is only going to step next into our firefighters. We've seen firefighters shot around the country. Mm -hmm. Next, it'll be DPW workers. And then you know what the ultimate one is? Then it's our neighborhoods. Right. We need to stand together and tell the people. You could be mad. You said something earlier like when you were talking about um, the governor. You said... <clears throat> You're not saying he's bad. You're saying he did a bad, made a bad decision. Right. Well, guess what? We're all we're all humans. Believe me, I've I only know what I know because I made so many mistakes, and me and you have discussed those. And sometimes you say what you think is the right thing to say, but you didn't say it right, or the context is wrong. Sometimes you make a mistake. I, I'm, you know, I, I make mistakes. What I've tried to do is learn from those mistakes. And I think the advantage of my years of experience is. I made a ton of mistakes. We all make mistakes. We just hope we don't make the same one. And when we make one, it doesn't cost someone's their life. Right. So let's learn from those mistakes and let's move forward because we don't want the unrest to be in our neighborhoods. And we don't want our res our res residential house values have been climbing. It's it's crazy in Methuen. You almost can't afford to live in Methuen. We don't want that to start to slide because of this negativity. All the politicians need to step back. If you don't like something we do specifically, call out that item. Calling people corrupt, calling people um, bad, criminal, criminal behavior, fraud, all that stuff hurts. It hurts the city and it hurts what our citizens think of us. If you found an act, then report it. By the way, Tom, what have they been doing since 2006, right? They're calling the FBI, the OIG, um, the federal OIG, the attorney general, the district attorney. What did they do again most recently in the last two years? The same thing. So I think we've been vetted and flushed enough that no one knows there's no criminal activity. Uh, yeah, can our policies be a little better? We just updated our use of force policy based on some of the situations we saw occurring in the country. And we, I went to some other. We have the Massachusetts accredited policy for use of force. And although it's the accredited policy everyone's using, I found a policy in Chelsea that was actually had a little bit better language in it. So I also reached out to Havel, then I reached out to IACP, and we just, as of today, reissued for the last month, we've been revamping our policy and negotiating with the union. We just updated our use of force policy. So we can always do better, and I look forward to doing better. Sorry for being on my soapbox. No, no, no. Listen, I, I'm, one of the things that I think is a miscarriage of justice is when the Tribune writes a story, it's always against you, and it's never fair. And when people attack you on Facebook, it's always very unfair. 
And so I just want to level the playing field a little bit and give you an opportunity. And let and some people they're not going to even during this discussion. I've got people on the on the comment section that you're full of crap, that you make too much money, and all this other stuff. Um, so no matter what you do, you're not going to appease some people. But I think it's important for those people who haven't made their mind up and don't hate you, um, who are open to you know new information, to have them hear it directly from you. And then they can make their own minds up. And I think that's what, that's what my role is. It's not to kiss your ass or defend you. Although I will defend you if I think you know, you're being treated badly, and I have in the past and will continue. Uh, I'll also kick the crap out of you when I think you're wrong, as I did last week. I don't know if you saw that show. I went back and I missed it live, but I went back and watched it twice. On the recording. All right. So I'm going to be asking you those questions next week. Hopefully you'll be ready for those. But one thing that did come up, um, and it always, it, it, because I served on the school committee in Lawrence and I'm, I'm, I've, I memorized Robert's Rules of Order and I know what all the procedures are supposed to be, I, I, I heard Steve Saber and Jim McCarty and maybe one other counselor complaining at the last two meetings about your use of barricades outside the police station on the night of the Black Lives Matter rally in Lawrence, the Black Lives Matter people put out a public flyer saying that they were going to start in Lawrence, march up Broadway, past the police station, and into Salem, New Hampshire. And you took the precautions of putting some Jersey barriers out front, and now you're being criticized for it by counselors who, by the way, have no say in how you do your job. Their job is supposed to be budget and policy, and they're demanding an investigation as if they have the right to. Uh, they're demanding to know why you use these Jersey barriers. So can you address this? Can you at least talk to why you did what you did and how you think it benefited the, uh, the, the city? So we do everything tactically based upon intelligence we receive, uh, threat assessments we receive, and best practices for what we believe. So we have a lot of those bike racks. You know, they look like a bike rack. They're the fencing, which is actually higher than the Jersey barriers. Lawrence police was short Jersey barriers because they not only did they do the pd they went out a whole block right so we took all, i think we had 60 of them we took all 60 of ours except for two at the main entrance we have we delivered those to lawrence and they're still there we let them use them to complete their barricade so we don't have those which are the metal barriers so in conversation with the dbw we were thinking well should we use snow fence what should we do to be able to delineate a line. And if you saw those, Tom, they were like two foot high barriers. They weren't even Jersey barriers. So they were free, the city owned them. So we moved them here and we made a circular line up front because the PD was already closed from COVID-19 with four regular Jersey barriers. But we just used these small ones, which were half those size to delineate a line. A five-year-old could have climbed over them. And in fact, if you look straight out from my office, there was like a two or three foot space because we didn't have enough that we left open. It was to delineate a line. So if the marches came up, there was this line that said, you don't cross here and we would be on the inside of the barrier so that everybody's aware if you cross this line, you've entered into area that is designated as um, not open to the public at this time that allows you some enforcement activity. Would we better that we abandon our PD and let them burn it down or take it over like we saw in Seattle? Right. So we put out there, not that we're saying people were going to come and riot and loot, but do you not prepare? If you go out on a boat, we're on a boat today um, with a news station with uh, the Merrimack Water River Shed Task Force. And guess what we all put on? Life jackets. Right. Now, it's right. not the law. I'm old enough not to wear a life jacket, but we put on a life jacket. Do we know if you know there's a storm coming and you live in New England, 
particularly in our area, what do we do the, when they tell us a storm's coming? We go outside, we make sure there's gas in our generator, we start our generator, we run it for 20 minutes to make sure, God forbid we lose power, our generator's gonna work. What do we do at the end of the summer? We put stabilizer in our lawnmower before we put it back. It's called preparation. Right. And I'd be derelict in my duty if I didn't prepare us and prepare as best as we could with our manpower and cost-free barriers. Now, if I spent $30,000 and I had no specific information of a threat, then they should criticize me. But normally you would have seen the majority of our barriers there, but like good neighbors, it was easier to deliver the metal fence and set it up in Lawrence. And that's what we did. So again, it, by the way, I, I, I'm a firm believer. Everybody knew that answer. It was just used to make it sound like you were doing we, something wrong. We were doing that. And by the way, Tom, you know who I'm going to be talking about, but this one individual, a former politician from a long, long time ago, who writes these things about Fort Solomon and things like that. And he sparks this, this outrage, which really there was no need for. I thought we did a good job. We took them down as soon as we thought the protests were over and there was no more um, intelligence. But anybody that drove by the PD, you could have just stepped over them without, you didn't even have to jump, you just step over them. They were about two feet high. Well, I, I think what I, one of the things I wrote in my notebook this month, and I, we haven't delivered paper, so you probably haven't seen it yet, is I can imagine what would have happened if you didn't put those barriers out there and the marchers did come up Broadway and they did do vandalism to the department, or they did kick in the doors, or they did burn down the station, Saba and McCarty and Beauregard would be saying that you mismanaged the department. This is proof that you have to go because you didn't prepare enough. And now, even though it didn't happen, they're saying you prepared too much, and this is proof of mismanagement. You can't win with these guys. You can't be. You know what, Tom? We can't be governed by uh, public perception. Again, we listen to our residents because our job is to serve them. So I don't want that to be misunderstood. So when they're complaining about traffic issues or they say the boat ramp's a problem, we're supposed to be responsive. When they say there's kids hanging at a location or a specific issue, we're responsive to them. But we can't buckle to political pressure, specifically why civil services and police departments, particularly in the chief and deputy chief and commander level, is so that you're not subservient to the whims of some politicians. We have to do what's best. And I'm a big boy. I'll take all the criticism. Um, they, they can continue to criticize me till I retire. And uh, if they want me to leave early, they know what, what all they have to do is what they need to do. And um, I'm here to serve as long as I decide that I'm still fruitful and I can continue to do this. And it doesn't continue to be such a burdensome act for my family. One of your... Uh Critics and detractors, uh, Susan Caprizio Jarris asks online, please ask the chief why he felt the need to go to the media yesterday. Cuts are happening across the state, not just Methuen. Because I didn't go to the media because the news media called me and said they read in the Eagle Tribune there was 45 layoffs. How many cops are getting laid off? And Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. You said the Tribune called you because they read in the Tribune. Wait, wait, no, wait. no, no. Are they talking about the Tribune? So let me first know how that happened to them. The Tribune wrote a story about 45 layoffs. I, Fox News called a reporter, which is actually at the desk reporter, and I forget what they call them, you know, the ones that yep. the anchor. Yep. Asked me a question. I said, yeah, we have layoffs. Well, did you do notices? I said, well, I'm serving them now. I'm going to be tied up most of the day. But yes, we are doing layoffs. Well, we read in the Eagle Tribune. I said, OK, no problem. So then I got called and said, hey, the report is here at the station and they want to um, do an interview. So when I spoke to the reporter, the interesting thing was our city councilors had sent them emails 
So they picked up the Tribune story. They called me. I spoke to them for a couple of minutes. They wrote a story. I didn't realize this. Then they followed up. Then Bill Kirk called me from the Tribune. I said, Bill, I was told you already wrote the story. It's in the front page of the paper today. It's 45 layoffs in the city. And he goes, hold on. He goes, oh, yeah, it is. But I want to ask you about the police. So I spoke to him. So, Tom, the other angle to this is, oh, the chief's not being transparent. He's hiding how many cops because he doesn't want us to know. So when they call me and I say, sorry, we're not going to talk about that, then I'm hiding things right. from them. So right. this is why you just can't win either way. I didn't call the media. The media called me. How the Eagle Tribune got the story of the 45 cuts, that's a question to them. But again, why are our city council sending emails to Fox News complaining about the story on Fox, if anyone didn't get it, wasn't about the layoffs. That was why the reporter said he wanted to do it. It was to slap me about my pay, which right. which I didn't realize till after the end of the conversation when he asked me. So, again, reporters are good. They keep the, the punch question to the end. So, hey, it is what it is. I, I am who I am. I'm going to continue to to answer questions. I've always, regardless of any criticism, since 2010, Pre-2010, I didn't believe in talking to the news media. Me and you had numerous conversations about that. You I, used to, I used to yell at you all the time. Why aren't you out there getting the message out? And you used to tell me all the time, this is ridiculous. Plus, you said to me once, why are you arguing with people not talking to with people that buy ink by the barrel? And right. I laughed. And actually, after two, in late 2010, I said, oh, my God, Duggan was right again. And so what did I do? I tried to talk to the press. And when you do, Tom, sometimes it's a misstep. And I... You know, when I talked to the reporter today about the watershed, I I said something and she goes, well, what did that mean? When I explained to her what she meant, she took it wrong. Sometimes you got to explain things better. And right. uh, listen, I'm, I'm a big boy. Criticize me all you want. It is what it is. Uh, I don't do this job for you to say thank you. I do this job because I believe in the people that work for me and I believe in my city. And uh, unfortunately, the misgivings of the community in the mid 2000s is still lingering in Methuen because the same person is the same person behind the strings being the marionette. Um, You're not going to say it, but I'm going to say it. It's Bob LeBlanc. It's former Bethune town manager Bob LeBlanc is the guy behind the scenes pulling all of this. He's the one. And, and you know, it's funny because I actually talked to Bob, even though we have a very, very, very checkered past together. Um, we still talk because uh, I'll talk to anybody, friend or foe. Um, and I would have a conversation with him, and then the next night I'd put on the council meeting, and McCarty was word for word what he said to me on the phone. So you know that that's where the information's coming from. Well, I'll leave that up to your investigative knowledge. <laughs> Any other questions, Tom? Yeah, because we're actually out of time. Uh, I just want to wrap up with, you know, the, the, a previous mayor fired you. Um, you've been investigated by the FBI, by HUD, the Attorney General's Office the uh, federal U.S. Attorney's Office. I think you're probably the most, the most investigated guy in the Merrimack Valley, and yet you're still here. And so I guess my question is why? Because if I had to go through that kind of shit, if I had to deal with being fired and being maligned in the Tribune and then having to sue to get my job back and then come back only to have the same environment that I'm coming back to where people are trying to retaliate against you for winning that lawsuit, for filing that lawsuit, and for showing certain people up, I don't know that I'd stay. I would take the money. I'd be in the Bahamas somewhere. And so I guess, I guess a lot of people ask me privately, hey, you know Joe Solomon, why is he still here? Like, if that was me and I was making that kind of money, I'd be gone. So, Tom, I hear that all the time, and I hear it every night from my wife, and I'm sure she's listening. So she's saying, Tommy's saying what I tell you. All my close friends say the same thing. The cops in here come to me and say that. 
And, you know, I, I was actually considering leaving last spring, but there was so much turmoil. The next police chief is non-civil service, which is going to make the person subject by the function of the job to the will of a political environment. I was hoping by now that everything with the patrolman resolved, everything with the superiors was resolved, and somebody could come in anew without all these headaches sitting on their shoulders. I have the, his, the history of the city, 34 years of the police department. I think I'm a valuable resource. I think I'm crazy and sometimes stupid for still being here. I truly love my job. I love what I do. But I also believe there's still some work to be done, which means getting, I had hoped, getting beyond all this craziness that's going on, get the police department done and get it in a place where someone else could come in and take it. And there isn't so much turmoil still going, but I really feel bad for the next person because the next person is either going to do exactly what they're told, or they're not going to be here a long time. And there's going to be attack on that person by inside and outside. I also know that there's a study. I'd hope the management study would have been fully um, in full swing by now and almost done by now. Uh, but uh, I really want to see that through. I want to be able to answer the questions. Uh, you know, Tom, I'm like you. We don't run. So when someone asks the questions, we will be there. There's some things tactically we just can't answer, whether it's a legal tactical question or another tactical question. Like I said today on some of the answers I want to give because there's basis for why I can't answer that. But when it sits with the management company, I, by the way, I'd like them. To, I'd like to hear what they say. This is good the way you had the PD set up. It's not good what's happening right now. This is the way it should go. The last time there was a management study, 20 years ago, whatever, close to that, um, they gave a bunch of recommendations. We took those recommendations and we we instituted a bunch of them. It, it was pre-me being the chief. Uh, so this, you can always do better. And it's having Commissioner Flynn and his team of experts, when you read about them, these people are amazing. So I'm hoping it comes through and it's a fair and equitable investigation or non-investigation review and i hope we all can learn from something i i really want to let you go because we're five minutes over but i gotta ask you this because i just saw sharon pollard pop up watching why do people why the people who hate you so viscerally hate you that they would rather hurt themselves and cut their nose off despite their face just to get in an attack why do people like i know why people hate me why do people hate why the people who hate why do they hate you so much I don't know. I've asked some of them that same question. And someone who was close to me for a long time, who's one of those haters, I asked that question and he gave me the blank stare and couldn't give me a reason. I think sometimes they just see the hysteria that's going on out there. And I also believe people get jealous over the money. Yep. I fully understand that. And also, I think people just generally hate people in power. And for someone who's been the chief for 18 years, they feel you have power. But find a time when that power wasn't used for the benefit of everybody. I, I, I think I've aged into this position. I'm a much better chief of police today than I was when I was made. And when I was made, you know, I was cocky Tom back then. Yep. I thought I knew everything. I'm a thousand percent better today than what I was. Then. I know because I, 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 I used to, I used to tell I you in 2002. I know because I used to tell you back then you need to talk to the press. You need to do this. You need to do that. And you know, no, 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 no. And you have evolved over the years. But I, I didn't really get the answer that I, that I thought I was going to get. Um, because when I talk to um, people who are your so-called enemies, the only answer that I really get is that you're tied to Sharon Pollard. Sharon Pollard hired you, and you're part of this big cabal, and she's pulling strings, and she's really running the department. 
And it's a good thing that Mayor Parlin was one of the best mayors I ever learned worked for. And I learned so much from Mayor Pollard and Mayor Zani. They were really true mentors in management and people skills for me. Mayor Pollard, as the mayor, never told me what to do or directed me to do something and never has she since she's left. I said, and, and Tom, let's not let everyone forget there was a civil service exam to promote me to chief. And you know how many people passed the civil service exam? Mm. One. Well, So Again, she could have said, I'm not going to make you and make someone else. But um, people say that I was the other one who took the exam. I saw other members of my department there. So there was more than one person that took the chief's exam when I took the chief's exam. And I was the only one who passed. So ultimately, I was really her own decision, although I believe she had the trust and faith in me because she saw the work from the community, uh, from the Neighborhood Services Bureau and the community outreach I'm sorry, we called the community policing back then. And uh, I'll always be grateful for her because she gave me the opportunity. She helped me grow. Mayor Zani taught me so much uh, for all the bashing people give him. He doesn't deserve it. He was a, he was a, a very intelligent man and he had a way about himself to get you to see beyond yourself and beyond seeing beyond the trees, the forest for the trees, I guess is the saying. He was very good at it. And uh, Sharon Pollard, I consider still one of my true dear friends. And I would go to her for guidance if I ever needed it. But you're not. Never- you're not helping. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're not helping. Oh, sorry. Well, I'm just telling you, Tom. It's the truth. She's never told me what to do, and that's the point. She is a good friend of mine, uh, but she's never told me what to do. Yeah, I, 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 I'm always perplexed by the Sharon Pollard thing. I don't get along with Sharon all that well because she's a Hillary supporter, and she's one of these Hillary supporters that thinks if you support Donald Trump, you must be a racist. And she's all 100% with the Democrats and all that stuff. So we, our politics are exact opposite. But I do remember covering Sharon Pollard when I was on CCM and when we started the paper. And I remember her leaving office with money left over. There were no crazy contracts. There were no lawsuits. Um, they, didn't, they didn't go up to the, two, to the Proposition 2.5 levy limit. She left the city in really good financial shape. There were almost no scandals. There was that whole Festival of Trees thing where the city donated money to the nonprofit that she out happened to sit on the board of. And I think she got wrapped for that. And people are still crying about that, even though it's like the smallest thing in the world. But I still can't figure out where the hatred of Sharon Pollard comes from. And it has translated into a hatred of you because she appointed you. And it just seems so irrational because, again, as a mayor, she actually turned out to be a pretty damn good mayor. I agree. All right. So I guess that's it. And we're out of time. You're nine minutes over. It's going to cost you. I am that, but the, but you're worth it. I appreciate that, and uh, and I and I, I appreciate you giving us your time today. Is there anything that you want to leave um, the listeners with? Anything that you want to? Any any final thoughts? Well, I'd just like to say, you know, take come back next Thursday where myself, Chief Baskin from Lawrence and Chief Gray from North Andover will be talking policing in 2020 and 2021. Yeah, we're going to talk about Black Lives Matter. It'll be a great dialogue. Yeah, and I still want to know how it is you can be a police officer and not believe that all lives matter. We need an answer to that. We'll be talking next Thursday. I think that all lives matter should be on the side of every friggin' police car in the country because your job as a police officer is to go out and be colorblind and service every single life. But that's just me. 
You told me that 50 times already. Yeah, I'm going to keep saying it until you, can publicly, you, until you publicly acknowledge that I'm right. I'm just going to keep... Until next Thursday. All right. Okay. Hopefully, we'll get an answer next Thursday. With the one, Police Chief Joe Solomon, thank you very much. Uh, I know you take a lot of crap. Some of it deserved. A lot of it not deserved. Um, but you're always there to answer the questions. You don't run from it. And whether it's your salary, whether it's contracts, whether it's other stuff that you get accused of, the barricades, the jersey barriers... You're, you're always accessible to actually answer the questions. And so that I appreciate because let the people at home decide. They don't have to agree with me. Let them hear what you have to say for yourself and let them make their own decisions. And hopefully we did that today. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Chief. All right. Let's, uh, let's say thank you to the Chief. He's going to be here next week. I still don't get how all lives don't matter, but I guess we're going to get into that next week. Next week, we're going to have Chief Solomon back. I'm going to talk about the... Black Lives Matter controversy. We're going to have uh, North Andover Police Chief Chuck Gray here. And we're also going to have Lawrence Police Chief Roy Vask here. And I would have invited our good friend Jim Ryder, who's the chief of Boxford, but there's only five people live in Boxford. And I don't even think they have any black people in Boxford. And so I don't think this, this affects him, so I didn't invite him, although I know he actually loves being on the show. We'll bring him on for something else. Uh, appreciate uh, uh, Joe Solomon coming on and talking with the public. You can love him or you can hate him. But you have to respect the fact that this is a guy that love him or hate him, he takes the lumps. He shows up at the meetings, he answers the questions, he shows up on this show, he answers the questions, he talks to Channel uh, Fox 25 in Boston, and he answers the questions. And you have to at least respect that even if you don't like his answers. Ben Kitchen, thank you for our fine, fine producer for the day. Uh, we will see you next week, the Valley Patriots on the street. And Melvin Taylor says we got to go home, so go home already. Uh, right to the post. Love it.